morning. Super glad you're here today with us. My name is Scott. I'm lead pastor here at First Christian Church. Feels a little boomy. Thank you. We're in week two of a four-week series called God and Culture um, that helps us understand how God called us to uh, create culture, to create environments of beauty and goodness that bring him glory. If you need a, a Bible or a study guide for this series, um, we got them available here for you. Um, just slip up your hand and uh, one of our guest services helpers will give you that hookup. Uh, speaking of hookup, if you need a Bible and uh, you don't have one uh, or you want another one, um, we like to give away Bibles that we let you steal. So put your name in it, take it, it's yours. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, uh, to two places today where we're going to spend our time, Jeremiah 29 and Genesis 3. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, and Genesis 3, 23 to 24. We're going to start in Jeremiah and spend the bulk of our time there, but you will want to have Genesis 3 handy um, because we're going to look at that to help us understand some of this concept, uh, the biblical concept of what we call exile. Uh, Some of you may know it as captivity. Um, We're going to talk about what it means to be in exile. So Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. And Genesis 3:23 and 24. Uh, for many years here at FCC, we have collected, we've taken up uh, Christmas and Easter offerings uh, to support numerous initiatives, uh, our own local projects, uh, planting churches, helping missionaries and organizations all over the world. Uh, and this past Easter, we, we chose a couple initiatives um, to give to. Um, number one, to support our public launch of Regeneration Recovery, which is a Bible-based 12-step recovery program uh, that focuses on growth in Christ. Um, It is, if you're new with us and haven't heard me say this yet, Regen is our main discipleship training program. Like if you want a primer on what is theology, what is Trinity, what is the Bible, how does that function to help us grow, how does the Holy Spirit help me grow, those kinds of basics we teach in Regen. That's a part of that curriculum. So if you're interested in like a how do I grow as a Christian kind of thing, join us on Monday nights for Regen. Um, we're also um, supporting the Joshua and Ruth Barron family. Um, there they are with their kiddos. Um, they have been with us for a number of months and will be here through the end of May. Um, they um, do church planting and Bible translation kind of work, uh, discipleship training, raising up pastors and, and uh, planting churches uh, among the Maasai people in Kenya. Uh, they've been there for a number of years, and uh, they need to upgrade their transportation when they go back at the end of May. So we are supporting them in that, giving them some financial help. Um, so for those two initiatives, Public Launch of Regen, helping support the barons, um, we have uh, raised $3,000 above and beyond our normal general fund giving so far that we're going to be distributing soon. But if you'd like to help further with that, uh, grab an envelope from the seat rack in front of you, give online at uh, give2fcc.org, text the word HELP to 8432. Hey, look at that. Do those things. Um, if you want to continue to help with um, us distributing funds uh, for the public launch of Regen, and for the Barons. Um, lastly, I want to give you some updated metrics about some current momentum and growth that we're experiencing um, here at FCC um, so that I can let you know how much we need your help. Uh, so before Easter, we were averaging right at 400 in attendance 
On Easter, we had 600 in attendance. For the last two weeks, we've averaged 460 in attendance, which is a lot more than normal for us. Um, And it may feel a little less full first service. That's because we added 40-plus chairs um, this past week. Um, We now have an active pool of something like 650 to 700 people who consider us their church home. Since the beginning of 2018, we've had over 300 guests. Um, We've had 34 memberships and baptisms. At Regen, we've had an additional 40 people uh, come to us in the first three weeks since our public launch. And we have been running over 90 people on Monday nights at Regen. Um, During the first two weeks, I'm sorry, first two months of our Next Steps um, sessions, we try not to call them classes, Um, during Next Steps, the first two months, we've had over 70 different people uh, participate in Next Steps. The point of all that is this. (laughs) We believe First Christian Church is worth your investment of time. And we need help. We've begun to experience some significant uh, momentum for a church of our size. Actually, to be frank, um, every single one of our staff members feels (laughs) thoroughly overwhelmed, Uh, as do a few of our key volunteers and our team leaders. And they are all working more than they should, just trying to keep up. So how can you help? Glad you asked. Uh, We need more people to commit, especially second service. may not feel like this as much first service, but give it time. Uh, We need more people to commit to being uh, early front and center. Um, That is a relatively easy thing to do. I know it sounds impossible for some of us. We're like, I'm coming 15 minutes after the service begins because I'm here at all. Thank you very much. That's cool. If you can't get the kids, you know, shoes on and struggle to get here. Come in late. It's cool. I get it. Believe me. But if you're able, early front and center helps us with new people feel like there's a place for them here. That's why early front and center matters. So we need people to come to this service. And I'm going to say this during the 1045 so that they hear early front and center. And the second thing we want to help you with, uh, we need help with is our admin team. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes on. We need help on our hospitality team. That's people like guest services who hand out things, people who prepare coffee, uh, people who do a whole bunch of those kinds of on-the-ground sort of tasks behind the scenes. They also help greet folks on the way in. So if you like people, come be on the hospitality team. If you don't like people, maybe admin is better for you. Uh, another thing that we need help with is um, our <laughs> – you're all laughing because you're like, I know which one I am – Uh, Another thing we need help with is our care team, um, especially for the 1045 service. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, actually in those offices. While we're worshiping each hour, there are people doing admin work. Uh, There are people doing hospitality work. There are people on the care team. Um, So this dovetails with a whole lot of things that we tell you about during next steps. So this stuff in 2, 3, and 4 there, dovetails with worship and serve for us. Uh, We make these things available for you to do on Sunday morning so you can worship during a service and serve during a service. You're welcome. Uh, We need, number five, we need people and kidsmen. Um, We need another half dozen volunteers about two months ago to work in kidsmen so that we can divide up two existing classes that badly need to be divided. Some of y'all have kids. Some of y'all helped down there. You feel that. So, all these things are to say, (laughs) 
Welcome to growth. It requires sacrifice to accommodate others. That's not just about like people in pews. That's about our lives. It requires sacrifice to accommodate others like Jesus did us. We just want to continue to be faithful to do what God's asking us uh, for the sake of helping others, of helping people find and follow Jesus. So for the record, all of these things are why we continue to push number six, next steps. Next steps is a comprehensive look at why and how our seven habits vision integrates into all aspects of our ministries. So if you want to come join us for next steps, 9 a.m. downstairs, sign up or show up, student center, every first through fourth Sunday of the month. Enough for the promo. Um, want to make sure you start clapping, it'll go longer next week. Don't mess with my inner jerk. <clears throat> Hey, I um, want to make sure you're aware, um, some of you know the name, Julie Prophet. Um, some of you have been uh, friends with the Prophets for many, many years. I want to let you know um, that Julie Prophet passed away this morning. Uh, she'd been struggling with cancer for the last few years. Um, if you don't know the last name Prophet, um, they are fundamentally important people here at First Christian Church. They have been at the heart of First Christian Church for a long, long time. Um, so please be praying for the Prophet family. Um, Julie just passed away this morning. So let's keep them in our prayers. Let's go ahead and uh, read together Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, and then we will uh, get into our time together after we pray. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. They say this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Let's let's pray together, friends. Lord God, we quiet our hearts and minds, uh, pushing aside um, things we know uh, that need to get done, tasks and responsibilities that weigh on us, uh, the busyness of our day-to-day life, uh, perhaps other struggles and sufferings through which we go from day to day. We push that aside for the moment, Lord, and we focus on you as King of kings and Lord of lords, acknowledging uh, that you have created all that is and that you have made us and graciously made us in your image after your likeness. Uh, And you've called us to reproduce the beauty and the goodness that come from your heart, that come from your character, so that this world would see you on full display. Lord, make that true of us. That others around us would see you on full display. 
Lord, we pray that uh, our time together in the Word would instruct us, that Your Spirit would comfort us, that it would convict us where we need and comfort us where we need. Forgive us, Lord, for uh, stubbornly insisting that we know what joy and fruitful life look like without You. So, Lord, correct us and teach us. Give us a vision for our lives and for our marriages and for our homes, for this congregation, uh, in a way that helps uh, this city to continue to become what you've called and created it to be. Lord, direct us toward those ends, we pray. Amen. So, uh, when we Wakefields uh, first moved to God's country here in East Tennessee, uh, low these many years ago, in the mid-1800s. Just kidding. <laughs> that began to sound a little like, you know, a, a Morgan Freeman introduction to a Lincoln speech or something like that. Four score and seven years ago. Um, so when we first moved here to East Tennessee um, in 2003 from the hinterlands of uh, the tundra of Chicago, it was, to say the least, a very different world for us. <laughs> So true story, it was like our first week here. We were getting settled into our new digs. Uh, my wife was at Lowe's for probably the 12th time in two days because that's what you do when you've got any sort of project going on in your life. You find yourself at Lowe's spending more than you hadn't even budgeted in the first place. So anyway, she's at Lowe's getting something and uh, buying flowers, you know, creating an environment of beauty and goodness, we'll say. So she's at the register and she had previously noticed um, as she came in, one of those self-contained uh, metal porch swings with a canopy on top, you know, it was already assembled. Um, it was the last model they had, so they put it out. And so it was in, like, you know, in, in cheap Wakefield possible place there. So she asked the person at the register as she was going out, she said, hey, I noticed that porch swing uh, already assembled out front. How do I get it home? And the lady looked at her a little funny and she said, exact quote, you just put it in your truck. Like, duh, stupid question. <laughs> my wife was like, well, what if I don't have a truck? My wife is not one to, you know, not talk back about this issue. I've got an agenda. You're going to hear me. What do I do if I don't have a truck? And this lady, I'm sure she didn't say this, but the lady at the cash register was probably thinking what we know she was all thinking, right? You're not from around here, are you? <laughs> Yankee lady. I don't know if she thought that, but... Um, because not only do you have a truck, you have friends who have trucks. But if you're not from around here, you may not have a truck. You may not even have friends yet who have a truck. <laughs> Which is a bit of the feeling of biblical exile. Feeling a little like a stranger in a strange land. The true test of whether you're from around here uh, may be whether you have a truck, but it's certainly if you have friends who have trucks when you need it. It's a decent test. It's a decent test. When we came here in 2003 um, to the land of promise, um, we felt for the first little bit officially like we were in exile. We were now in a land where even though maybe you'd never met the checkout lady at the grocery store, she might actually ask you how your family's doing. You've experienced this, right? Like you go and someone who you've never met says, how's your family doing? And you think, that, fine. <laughs> 
for no other reason than because it's Tuesday and you're buying oatmeal cream pies or something. I don't know. Not that I've ever done that. To have the checkout lady at the grocery store ask about how your family is doing uh, felt weird to us when we first got here. It felt like a sign uh, that we were strangers in a foreign land. Because if the checkout lady in Chicago had asked how my family was doing, it would not only have felt exceedingly weird um, and, and pretty out of place, I would have sort of wondered to myself, like, if, I don't know, she was in the mob or something like that. But down south here, it was different. People I had never met who just happened to be driving in the same neighborhood as me waved like they knew me, even though I never recognized them. A lot of y'all understand that. We were now living in a different world. Uh, We were, in a sense, at first at least, exiles in a strange land where the checkout lady assumes you've got a truck and asks how your family's doing. Now, 15 years later, it's not that way. It's not weird for me. I wave at other people in my neighborhood just because they're driving the other direction. Not only do we now have friends with trucks, the checkout lady recognizes us, and we probably have common friends. Uh, we probably have um, a common grandchild or a child who played soccer at the Y or something like that together. This place now, for us, has become home. Now, we're all longing for a place that feels like home, aren't we? Like a, a place where everybody knows your name. too easy and they're always glad you came or you walk in the door and they all yell so if you're younger than 40 what just happened (laughs) not too long ago in this country there was a time when everybody watched the same shows and now if you're older than 40 or 45 you feel like an exile in the world of netflix binging Wherever we're from, uh, however old we are, whether you know the checkout lady or you don't, uh, we're all longing for a place that feels like we belong. You may be new to Greenville with an E. It may not feel like home yet. Maybe you're new to this church. Maybe you've lived here your whole life. You've never been outside the state of Tennessee. We all of us want to have a place we call our own, where we are known, where we are loved, where God's mission of creating environments of beauty and goodness has taken hold and we get to be part of that. That's what we all want. And that's what we need. But in our passage today, in Jeremiah 29, 4-7, the people of God in the Old Testament had become exiles. They'd become foreigners, in a strange land. And they were longing for their home, Jerusalem. And they were struggling with turning the foreign land where they now lived into a place of belonging. Because they were pining for Jerusalem, their former home. So God had an important message for them as exiles, as, as aliens in a foreign land. And it dovetails for us with this series theme of creating environments of, of beauty and goodness. Because God has, has a word for them that is, settle in and make this place your home. Settle in and make this place your home. 
Jump in with me at Jeremiah 29. We're going to start in verse 4, spend quite a bit of time there, and then pick it up after we look at a couple places. It says this, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, press pause before we go on to see what God said to them in verses 5 to 7. We need to spend some time looking here at the background to provide some context for us. So Jeremiah was a prophet, which means he was a mouthpiece uh, for God. Uh, A prophet was sort of a a forerunner to a preacher today. Not exactly parallel, but close enough. Uh, Please don't start calling me a prophet. Um, So Jeremiah was a prophet, a mouthpiece uh, for God. And... uh, And he was called the weeping prophet, the weeping prophet, W-E-E crying, uh, the weeping prophet, because he was grieved about the loss of the temple in Jerusalem, its destruction, not being back at home where they're from, the scattering of the people of God all over the place. There was a sense of displacement that the Jews were feeling at the time. He says, because he's a weeping prophet in Jeremiah 9, 1, if you want to look this up later, he says, oh, that my head were waters. He was crying, grieved about it. My eyes, a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. So he's called the weeping prophet. He was grieving because the city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. They had been displaced. And so they felt like, where's God in all this? We were the people of promise. Worse yet, this destruction had come because they were not faithful to God. So not only did they not have a home, did they not have a temple, but they had been relocated to Babylon from Jerusalem. Babylon's where the bad guys live. And that had been all their fault because they had sinned against God. That for them was the experience of exile, the experience of being a foreigner in a strange land and the additional feeling of remorse and grief at it being your own fault (laughs) that you were not back home. And there's also something very important for us to understand about this biblical concept of exile here in Scripture. On the face of it, exile is about like a geographic, like a physical dislocation, the experience of of not having a home to call your own. But it's also understood to mean much more. Exile is primarily the experience of spiritual dislocation. It's the understanding that you are displaced because your sin separates you from God. And this idea of spiritual exile that didn't start in Jeremiah, but started all the way back in the garden. I mean, the first thing that happens after Adam and Eve's sin is exile. Separation from God. Look with me if you have it handy at Genesis 3, 23 and 24. We're just going to look at this uh, briefly here. Genesis 23 and 4 to show us where exile as a concept theologically, biblically comes from. It says this, verse 23, Therefore, in other words, because Adam and Eve had sinned, the Lord God sent him out. So there's the exile. Um, sent him out. We know from the context that he meant both Adam and Eve there. Um, Genesis only refers to Adam there. But the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Here is the exile again, verse 24. He drove out the man. It's a pretty forceful word there. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Two times, twice in those verses, 
It emphasizes that God drove out Adam and Eve. Drove them out from the garden. They were exiled. They no longer had a perfect relationship with God because of their own sin. Which meant that they would hereafter live as strangers in an alien land. They couldn't return knowing it was their sin that had separated them from God. This expulsion from the garden, this sort of spiritual exile, is the pattern for all sin that would follow. Exile from Eden is why we say sin separates us from God. And that meant from this point forward, from Genesis on, the state of God's people is exile. Living in this state of tension between the world we were made for and the world in which we live. You see, we were made for Eden, (laughs) but we live in Greenville. Don't get me wrong, Greenville's lovely. This is God's country. The checkout lady cares about what your family's doing. But the reality for each one of us is that we live in a world in which we don't belong while we simultaneously long for a world that is yet to come. We were all of us made for Eden. But because of our sin, (laughs) we live in Babylon. It is normal human experience to live with this constant sort of undercurrent of tension that our own sin creates. Especially for those who don't have forever relationship with God. So back to Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Notice, just like Genesis, that it's God who causes this exile as a response to the sin of the people. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, and listen to the message to them while they're experiencing this undercurrent of of tension created by their own sin. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. He's saying, settle in and make this place your home. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Settle in and make this place your home. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. (laughs) Settle in and make this place your home. Multiply there and do not decrease. The message is to settle in and to make this place your home. This was for them a radically different message and a difficult message for the people of God in the Old Testament to hear. They were the people of promise who had been promised a land where God would settle with them And live in perfect harmony with their families and they would prosper. And yet this message felt different to them. Even feeling like the opposite of what they'd been promised. Which is why verse 7 starts with a note of contrast. It says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Settle in and make this place your home. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. There's a feature in verse 7 here that I want you to notice that drives home this point that God is telling the people at the time. 
The word welfare there shows up three times in the text of verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The word welfare there is the Hebrew word uh, shalom. Shalom means peace and harmony between God and humanity in a way that brings renewal and flourishing, and that creates beauty, that produces goodness, and that makes life happen. God is saying, seek the shalom, the peace and the harmony and the flourishing of the city where I have sent you into exile, God says. He says, pray for it. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. Create godly culture where you are. If this city prospers, you will prosper. If you prosper, the city around you will prosper. Which by the way, assumes a different definition of home than we're typically thinking of or are taught. Home is not where you're from. It's not where your kinfolk live. It's not even where everybody knows your name. (laughs) In the kingdom of God, home is where God's spirit is renewing and bringing life. Home is where the spirit of God operates to create environments where his beauty and his goodness that come from his character are on full display and that they produce life. Home is an environment of shalom where peace and harmony and the goodness of God is on full display. I think Jeremiah 29 has lots of implications, many lessons for us in practical terms when it comes uh, to what it might look like uh, to settle in and to make this place your home. So, so what does it mean to create a culture of, of godliness in our homes, in our marriages, throughout this city? I'm just going to list a number of observations uh, point by point here at the end. If any of these shoes fit, please wear them. The welfare of the city and your welfare are interdependent. When one flourishes, the other flourishes. Which meant at the time the context that the shalom of Jerusalem and the shalom of Babylon were interdependently happening as God's Spirit was doing it. Not because one had a temple and one did not. This may have felt and sounded to them like heresy, but from God's perspective, which we all need more of, exile was a form of mission for them. Dispersion was a form of the mission of God going out into the world. Which means for us that sectarian separatism, which is a fancy word that means living as if everything else is going to hell in a handbasket. Whether that takes root in a family or a church or a group of churches, sectarian separatism runs the risk of unbiblical and ungodly disengagement from God's plan to renew the world. Some of us grew up in churches... (laughs) 
and environments and homes that might require us to smoke on that pipe for a while. Separatism is a form of giving up in the heart of God to reach people with His love. And it's mostly rooted in fear and self-protection. That was just number one, but we've got about seven more to go, so let's pick it up. <clears throat> um, a this-worldly definition of home, a this-worldly definition of home that depends more on watching HGTV than reading the Word of God, will tempt us to trust in the trappings of safety more than an intimate relationship with God. It is only an exile. God's grace is exile, as it turns out. It is only in exile that we learn to trust that God's really in control. Another thought. <laughs> if we are exiles on a mission of creating environments that display God's beauty and goodness that comes from his heart, then our gathering on Sunday is for the purpose of scatter, scattering throughout the week. So that we will take with us, when we leave these doors, the truth of the good news of Jesus, and we will sow that seed throughout the community as a form of city planning. True culture making that changes the city is actually subversive from the ground up. It's a movement that changes hearts by the establishment of God's kingdom and people. The church leads a city from the bottom up, subversively, with the power of God's spirit that no other institution has. Which is to say, when the word of God is in charge of a people, the welfare of a city is in good hands. Another thought <laughs> is we need to stop silver bullet thinking. We need to stop silver bullet thinking, plant our roots, and stop acting like our someday hopes and dreams will ever come without being present and engaged and all in for today. And this is going to sound a little silly, <laughs> but I still think it's a clear implication of the text uh, which draws on God's command to create culture in Genesis 1, 26 through 8. Um, just this. <laughs> Please keep making babies. Please keep grabbing up and caring for kids who need homes. Psalm 68 calls God the father of the fatherless. It says he settles the solitary in a home. There is nothing more helpful for a child than a, home, than a home that takes seriously the call to create environments of beauty and goodness that come from the heart of God. That's how you grow children. Lastly, we need to see our community's problems as our problems and not somebody else's. Here in Greene County, we have problems. We have kids whose primary parents aren't their parents. I'm told that 40% of kids in the county school system don't have one of their primary parents, but their grandparents as their parent. We have kids who don't have both parents. We have kids whose primary parents 
don't function as parents because they are absentee and they are busy, they are addicted, they are cheating on their spouse, whatever the case. We need to see our community's problems as our problems because left to themselves, homes and gardens and marriages and cities do not become by themselves places of ordered beauty where the goodness of God is on full display. Those kinds of environments require caretakers willing to sacrifice so that the fullness of God's glory is on display for others to see. That doesn't happen with people who think this is about themselves. That happens with people who have the Spirit of God in them to reproduce, to demonstrate grace, to go outside of themselves, to have the courage to say yes to a mission bigger than this. City planning... (laughs) was God's idea in the first place. So, settle in and make this place your home. Commit to this place and make it your mission. Imagine what God does and how He would move if we took that mission seriously. Imagine what God could do if a group of Jesus followers worked hard to create environments where exiles who don't know what to do with their own sin find a home where there's a Savior who can bring them home. We have to love this city as if God has sent us on a mission to produce His beauty and His goodness here because He has. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we're forever grateful that you have given us your Son, Jesus. That you have given us your Spirit. That you bring the dead to life. Lord, we continue to ask in the quiet of this moment that you would give us a vision for our lives that is in submission to your vision for the world and for this city, for our community. We ask that you would break our heart for the things that break your heart. That we would be a group of followers of your son Jesus who went to the highways and the byways to bring in those who are lost So, Father, continue to teach us, to show us what mission looks like, to be about engagement with the resources you've given us. And that as we engage in those resources to produce your beauty and goodness as your spirit works in us, that we would find the joy and the contentment and the peace. Lord, continue to teach us to fight for the joy of our lives from the day to day, being in submission to what you're doing in the world. We ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.